Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Say What Again Billy podcast. On this episode, I will be talking about types of hauntings that paranormal investigators stumble upon. So paranormal research groups, when they get calls to people's houses or locations that are said to be haunted, they actually go in there and have to define the type of haunting that a person, family, or business is experiencing. Sort of like when police officers are called to a scene, they come out of the scene with what the crime was, petite larceny, grand larceny, homicide, suicide. Ghost investigators, in essence, have to do the same thing. They go to a location and they have to say, first of all, if the place is really haunted or they have to try to debunk the things that are happening to say, yeah, this is not really happening. This is what the real reason is. This is why you're seeing this. This is why you're smelling this. So in essence, ghost hunters have to go and do the same thing that police officers do, investigate the scene and give a definition of what happened. So I got into this whole paranormal thing by watching a group of ghost investigators when I was younger. And that show that I started off with by watching was Ghost Hunters. Ghost Hunters was a show on, I believe, Sci-Fi Channel. It was the Atlantic Paranormal Society. And they would go to these locations from Rhode Island. And yes, they drove from state to state, which was crazy. I guess sometimes the main investigators would take a flight and meet the people out there. But for the most part, they drove their black vans with the TAPS logo from Rhode Island to California, Rhode Island to Florida, Rhode Island to New York. And they did these investigations. Their first objective or first goal when they got to these locations was to actually try to establish the story, do some research, and their goal was to try to debunk the claims of a haunting before they can go and prove that there is a ghost haunting. And within the episodes, I heard Jason and Grant talk about certain types of hauntings, what they believed, what was going on. They were like, oh, it's a residual haunting, or oh, this might be an intelligent haunting. And I had no idea what they were talking about. So I had to actually go and buy a book and do my research and do some studying on paranormal investigations. I came across a book by Troy Taylor, and this particular book had everything you needed to know. I would say to this day, it is the Ghost Hunter's Bible. And there's other books out there, but this was the book that I purchased and I learned a lot from. And in Troy Taylor's book, there was notes that he gave you, like he actually wrote out in the book notes that you can, you know go print out at a CVS or whatever and use those notes that he formatted so that you would be probably a, a, a ahead of the game when you did your investigations. And he also included the types of hauntings that if you went to an investigation or you got called to a place, you would know what's going on and what type of haunting it is so you were prepared for it. He also gave you the do's and don'ts of ghost hunting, which was really good. So to get into it, the first type of haunting is a residual haunting. A residual haunting is basically something that happened that was very traumatic. So I'll give you an example. Um, God forbid, knock on wood, a family died uh, in a fire. The fire started, candle was left on, the house was engulfed in flames. Unfortunately, a family didn't make it out. That is something that is traumatic. It happened so fast, right? And there are cases where ghost investigators go to a house that may had a family, may have had, had a family die in it from a scenario such as a fire. 
And what they'll experience is the embedded energy from the traumatic event at that location. And they will smell fire. They'll smell burnt wood. They'll have the feeling of being cold from coming in outside, but going into a room of the obvious refurbished house and feel hot and start to sweat and smell fire. This is telltale signs of a residual haunting. Things may happen and there may be objects that trigger events to happen more. It's pretty common in residual hauntings that you'll feel and smell and experience things maybe around a certain time of a day or a year or a month or a holiday. So let's just say I gave you that scenario with the fire. It happened on Christmas Eve. I'm being morbid here because that'd be terrible. Christmas Eve, fire happened, family lost their lives. If they build that house over again and people move into the new refurnished, refurbished house, and that was the night that this tragic event happened, it's likely that that particular day every year would be the new family's encounter of the residual haunting. There's also objects that can trigger things to set off a residual haunting. Maybe using the fire scenario, someone brings a batch, uh, a box of matches or a candle into the house, and that would trigger the residual haunting to start having things happen. The smell of fire, the smell of smoke, the room to start to get hot. So we have trigger objects and time of days, and the residual hauntings have that type of um, experiencing in it. Um, usually in, in residual hauntings, there's no reply from ghosts. Investigators will commonly use a method of investigating called EVP. And an EVP is when an investigator will sit with a voice recorder and try to record uh, a response from a ghost by asking a whole slew of questions. But mainly in residual hauntings, because of the activity, you might not get a response, or most likely you won't get a response. Um, there's no intelligence to the ghost haunting in a residual haunting. Um, the ghost may not even acknowledge that you're there. Um, you might not even see the ghost, but you'll experience things that have happened in that event, which in essence is a residual haunting. And other things that can make a residual haunting happen are particular minerals or bodies of water near the house, trees, and even power lines and other things. Ghosts need energy to manifest themselves. And what paranormal investigators believe is that minerals, bodies of waters, mountains, and even storms can give energy from the earth to the ghost to manifest themselves and cause this residual haunting or other types of hauntings, not just focused on residual, but residual does have um, these things that happen based off environment, trigger objects, and things like that. So in residual hauntings, you actually can trigger the event to happen with a trigger object, a trigger day, a trigger year, an anniversary, a holiday, and mainly you'll basically feel or smell or just feel weird with a residual haunting. And the ghost won't really acknowledge you, or you might not even be lucky enough to see the ghost. And that's just basically the definition that most people use when it comes to residual haunting. So if you're experiencing things, and people do say, well, I felt weird the other night, and I could have sworn I smelled cigar smoke, or this, this, and that, it could be possibly a residual haunting. It's not actually very uncommon. 
you'll hear stories of people in old hotels and old houses and they'll say, I went to the room and I just felt weird. You know, my hair stood up behind my back and I started smelling something funny and it got really cold. Well, basically that's telltale signs of a residual haunting. And if you do your research, most places have a lot of historics and research to it. You can go to a library, you can go online, you can Google and research the house you're living in currently, even if you live in an apartment, and find out the details and the history of where you're living. So if you're getting these awkward, weird feelings that are along the lines of a residual haunting, weird smells, weird feelings, or things that are happening when you do particular things or have particular objects, that's a residual haunting and you can do your research and look into what happened in your location where you reside. So residual hauntings are, to me, actually something very common. It's a very common haunting in the world of paranormal. And residual hauntings was something that I had to study in Troy Taylor's book to acknowledge and know what type of haunting I'm dealing with when I got called to do these investigations. And to me, it's the most common type of haunting because a lot of people do say they feel and smell certain things, but don't see anything. But they're convinced that their place is haunted. Another type of haunting is an intelligent haunting. This is actually one of the most common. I know residual, I said, is, is pretty common because I'm judging by people's experiences and stories. But when it comes to the world of ghost hunters or paranormal investigators, this is the most type of, this is the most common type of haunting that paranormal investigators experience. Um, investigators, when they get to a haunting, haunted location rather, and they do the EVP thing that I spoke about, they will get responses. They'll ask questions. What's your name? How did you die? Why are you here? Are you sad? Things like that. And they'll get responses. When you get a response from a entity or a ghost and they're giving you a response based off your question or even if they're not giving you a direct response, that is a telltale sign of an intelligent haunting. The ghost, unlike a residual haunting, is actually giving you a response, making that type of haunting an intelligent haunting. And a lot of investigators go to locations and they are, tell, they are told the whole residual thing. And sometimes they'll go there and they'll just end up smelling or experiencing temperature changes or things like that. But a lot of paranormal investigators, when they do go to these places, they can rule out the residual haunting definition because once they break out the recorder or their EMF meters, start asking questions and play it back after recording, they're getting responses from what is said to live in the house or be in the house. So the intelligent haunting thing is actually a very common um, defined ghost case with paranormal investigators. There's a lot of feedback when ghost hunters, I almost, I almost said ghostbusters because I'm, so, I'm looking forward to that movie. But it's the most common thing when paranormal investigators go to haunted locations. They break out the, the voice recorder and they're, they're asking these questions and they're getting responses. Once you get a response and you play back the recording, whether you play it back on the investigator investigation or once you go back to the base or your home and you play back the evidence, you can, if you get a response, you know it's an intelligent haunting. And to most investigators, that's the most common thing. To me, it's the residual because I hear a lot of stories. That's just my opinion. I hear a lot of stories of people saying, yeah, I felt this, I felt that. That's why I said residual is, is common. But to the world of paranormal investigators, 
intelligent hauntings are the most common thing that they stumble across. Now, the next one is a poltergeist. Now, in the world of Hollywood, we have these movies, right? Like the actual movie, Poltergeist. And all these other shows, like the Poltergeist movie with Owen Wilson, I believe he was in it. And that was a god-awful movie. And Poltergeist is very miscued in the definition, right? The movies portray it as like a demonic thing. And it's just causing havoc and killing people. But in the parapsychology paranormal world, a poltergeist... The activity is actually not from a ghost. It's actually from a person, predominantly a woman. Now, the word poltergeist, it actually means rumble ghost. It's actually German. Poltergeist comes from the German language, and it means rumble ghost. Like I said, Hollywood portrays the activity as demonic, but parapsychologists believe that it actually can be from a human being, typically a young woman or girl going through womenly changes that can infect psychokinetic energy. The individual will be scared that objects are starting to move and the activity is being caused by them and they're not aware that they are the one in fact causing the activity. Contrary to the beliefs, this type of haunting is rare and there only has been few documented cases of poltergeist activity worldwide. So, a girl, obviously, goes through a lot of changes in their young life going into their teenage years. And it is said that psychic kinetic energy, or psychokinetic energy rather, can amplify when a girl is going through that particular change in their life. Now, I know as a guy, I went through puberty. And I experienced all types of emotions, like from 16 years old, like being depressed, I didn't have a girlfriend and listening to different types of music, locking myself in the room, not going out because I had a pimple on my face. And you can only imagine what young women go through, going through what they have to go through once a month, especially when they discover that, hey, this is what you're going to go through once a month, every year until you pass away. And that must suck. You know what I'm saying? Well, obviously not in the later years, but... That must suck as a girl to acknowledge like, oh, mommy, what's going on down here, you know, and the pain and everything. So it is said when they're experiencing this particular change in their life that they can actually amplify psychokinetic energy and do things that they are unaware they're doing. So let's just say little Sally's sleeping in bed and she's experiencing whatever she's experiencing. She could be thinking a certain way amplifying her psychic kinetic energy and guess what things start happening things start moving bookshelves start moving books fly off the bookshelf tv turns on and off she calls mommy in mommy gets scared she can't explain it she may call a police officer police officer can't explain it call a priest guess what someone's gonna say it's a poltergeist and think that it's an actual ghost in the house meanwhile it's just little sally going through womanly things and it's very documented, those few times that it is documented that that's in fact what it is. It's just an individual that's causing this stuff. Again, we don't really know too much about the human body, what our capabilities are. We only use X amount of our brain. So it's really not known what we can do and what our bodies can experience if we put our minds to something or we're going through such a I guess to some girls, it could be traumatic, like going through what they go through at a young age, and it amplifies 
things in their mind to do certain things. So, you know, we don't really know what a little girl goes through when they're changing. And we also don't know what their mindset is or if they start thinking of different things and using a percentage of their mind. And like I said, parapsychologists think that their psychic kinetic energy, psychokinetic energy starts to amplify when they're going through this particular thing. So when you hear about poltergeists, you know, it's not really a ghost. It's actually most of the time a young adult or young child going through things and amplifying their psychic PK energy and things are happening. So poltergeist in the Hollywood eyes is something demonic, but in essence, in the real paranormal terms, poltergeist activity is usually from a young child, predominantly a little girl. So don't listen to Hollywood from now on when it comes to paranormal because, you know, they amplify things. Now, that actually leads me into the next type of haunting, which to me, I hope I would never have to encounter. And I would have to say Hollywood has this one borderline right, and that is demonic. A demonic haunting is by far the most scariest and dangerous to deal with. The reason a person is possessed is unintentionally allowing themselves to be um, opening up a doorway and unintentionally allowing themselves a demon to come into their life or possess them. And ways of this happening are basically playing with a Ouija board, right? The actual Exorcist movie wasn't about a little girl. It was actually about a little boy. And in the movie, I believe she was playing. I don't actually haven't watched it in a while, but I believe in the movie she played with something or did something that basically opened up the door for this particular demon to come and possess her. And this is basically along the lines of how it happened with the boy. When you don't follow the, I'm Catholic, you know, and I, I have religion, I have faith. When you don't follow the first commandment of thou, I am your God, thou shall not put any other gods before me. When you don't follow that and acknowledge that you're opening up the gateway to demons to do certain things, right? Playing with a Ouija board and asking questions with a Ouija board is not the thing you want to be doing. I actually don't agree with even going to see psychics because you're asking a psychic, hey, can you talk to my dead grandma? I hate to break it to you. Psychics, they may have some kind of ability, but they may be using their ability the wrong way. And I don't trust it. And I hate to break it to you too. And this is something I'll get into another episode of my podcast. But there are many that claim that, you know, and this is in the Bible, and in the Catholic faith, Christian faith, when you die, you rest. You go to a eternal rest until the day God says, heaven on earth, you don't go to heaven, you rest. You die, you go into a slumber until the rapture happens. And apparently God takes X amount of people straight to heaven and they get to relax there until the rapture plays out and everything sets its course in the book of Revolution, or Revelations and then earth becomes heaven and everybody is living on earth, heaven on earth, right? We've heard the term. So that's for another episode though. But in essence, ghosts are wandering spirits, but there can be demonic spirits. And opening yourself up by playing with a Ouija board or talking to a psychic that's supposedly talking to your dead uncle or your dead mother can open up a lot of gateways to things happening to you. Um, a lot of people that do or are said to had get possessed actually may have not done anything. And that would actually bring me to the story of Emily Rose. Um, the whole demonic thing, 
it can happen if you do the wrong thing or say the wrong thing, play with the Ouija board, talk to psychics, or just bash God. In Emily Rose's case, that didn't happen. She just became ill and became possessed. And I believe in the movie, and I actually didn't watch the movie because I'm admitting that I'm too chicken to watch that movie. But in the movie, I heard there was a scene where she did speak to Mary and says, you know, you're about to go through something. Do you want to do it? And she said yes. And she went through hell. Um, The case of Emily Rose, the possession was so bad, it ended up with her dying. And her actual name was Anna Elizabeth Michelle. The real Emily Rose, and I'm going to butcher names here because I'm sorry, but I'm not good with pronouncing names, but Anna Elizabeth Michelle, the real Emily Rose, ended up dying from malnutrition. Doctors said that she had schizophrenia and other disorders, but her family, um, I believe Joseph Mike Michelle and Anna Michelle, I think her father's name was Josette or Joseph, um, and the priests, Ernest Alt and Arnold Renz, they thought differently. They didn't think it was schizophrenia. They didn't think it was any other disorders. They thought 100% that this little girl, okay, Anna Elizabeth Michelle, was possessed by a demon. Um, it's said that she was possessed by multiple demons, Lucifer himself, Hitler. Um, and she did things that the priest could not explain. That's why the priest, well, the both priests, knew that something was going on. There's actual video of the um, Emily Rose case. There's recordings of the Emily Rose case where you can hear her voice as a normal kid and then later on in the you know demon possession timeline of her, she, it doesn't sound like her. She's There's a recording out there. It gives me the chills. My hair's standing up on my arm right now. There is recordings of her screaming and yelling and it does not sound like the little girl that you heard previous on the previous recordings. There is something going on. I know schizophrenia can do certain things and split personalities and things like that, but the audio that I heard was so haunting. I was like, I'm not watching this movie and I'm not even touching this ever again, but here I am talking about it on my podcast. Um, it got so bad, this this girl turned from a beautiful young girl and you see the photos of her changing and she had bags under her eyes, she had lost drastic weight. Um, there was reports or things that uh, there was sayings that she was eating bugs and she was doing crazy things. And they actually went to trial. And the father, um, I believe his name was Josette or Joseph, Michelle, Michael, um, it's, spe- it's spelled M-I-C-H-E-L. So I'm saying it's Mitchell instead of Michael. So Anna Elizabeth Mitchell died of malnutrition and the two priests which uh, their names were Ernest Alt and Arnold Renz and the father and mother, Josette Mitchell and Anna Mitchell. They ended up going on trial, going to before a judge, explaining that they thought it was a demonic possession. Obviously, in the court of law, uh, a judge is not going to believe the whole demonic, you know, good versus evil thing. And the four of them were sentenced to jail for ne- uh, negligent homicide. Um, which basically means like they neglected this girl and she ended up dying because of that. Now, how the priests got the same um, ruling is beyond me because 
negligent homicide, I believe, is when you're neglecting to take care of an individual. And if I was the judge, I would have said, well, the mother and father should have did that. I kind of would have probably gave the two priests uh, another another ruling. But they got all four of them got, according to my research, got um, the negligent homicide, which is crazy to me. And they ended up doing time and going to jail. It to me is is crazy because if you read the documentation of the Emily Rose case, Emily Rose case, and what went on with this 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 girl, um, Anna Elizabeth Mitchell, it was crazy. I don't know what I would have done if I had got called to a case like that and saw what I saw and heard what I saw. I think I actually remember in the movie there was a scene where the boyfriend was sleeping and and he woke up in the middle of the night and she was all bent looking at him and in bent over backwards and stuff i would have shit myself and i would have <laughs> even being a paranormal investigator now and into this stuff i would never touch that not with a 10-foot pole um and this was one of by far the most documented um demonic possession cases because it did go to court and it was on record that these priests and the father and mother were talking about this girl being possessed. Obviously, the judge didn't want to have it. And this is what the outcome was. They both got jail. To, all four of them got jail time. So those right now are the um, types of hauntings that paranormal investigators have to go to and define if it's demonic activity. Now... The intelligent haunt, I mean, sorry, not demonic, um, paranormal investigators go and they have to define what the haunting is. Um, to be honest with you, the intelligent haunting is something that you'd want to stumble upon. And obviously, demonic is something that you don't want to go stumbling upon. There are shows out there now that I watch, Travel Channel. And I'm going to give a little shout out to Discovery Plus because every show that you like on Travel Channel... And on, you know, what for, so on and for, so forth is right there for the click. You, you purchase the app, four or five dollars, whatever it is, and you click on the show and you can stream whatever you want, whenever you want, and get right into the episode. And the show Ghost Adventures with Zach Bagans, you know, he's kind of went extreme in his ghost, uh, in his ghost hunting. His group started out with, you know, three guys, and now it's with four or five guys now, and there's one lone, uh, survivor from his group left i believe it's the aaron aaron goodwin i believe his name is um he's basically one of the originals with with zach the other guy went off did his own thing i believe too um forgot his name sorry but i did but they tend to go to these locations where bad stuff happen and a lot of they go to cases that is said to be demonic and you know he tends to mess with the spirits a lot and things happen to him as you I don't like I said you don't have to believe these shows I actually believe some of it to an extent but he goes recently and in a lot of the past seasons he goes to these locations and things happen to this guy whether he's a good actor or things are genuinely happen to him there's something like that always tends to attack him and do something to him make him scream make him change his personality his attitude and it's something you see in almost in every season, but I feel like in the last few seasons, it's been happening to them a lot. Um, and they do intend to investigate a lot of places that are said to have demonic activity, like the John Mackey house, if I said the name right. 
Uh, you can research that and Google that. A lot of things happened there and it's supposed to be super haunted. I actually think they went there twice. And if I recall in his first episode, there was stuff that was going on and really affecting him. But in most paranormal investigations, the um, main type of haunting that investigators deal with is the intelligent haunting, which is where you'll get the whole um, response in the EVP, the EMF spikes. Light this, light this light up if you're... Um, if you're next to me and lights will go off, there's flashlight tests and stuff like that. Paranormal investigators do where they un they loosen the back of a flashlight where it's pretty much just touching, where the light can still turn on. And that gives, I guess, the ghost enough. Uh, I've never done it. I've seen it. Uh, it gives the ghost enough um, leeway to respond to questions. So, hey, are you here? And the light will go off. The light will go on. Um, things like that. But... Um, there are so many, well, these are the types of hauntings, but there are so many more things that do happen on investigations, um, whether they be demonic or not. Now, what I was alluding to before is the whole Bible thing I got into. There are people, like a friend of mine, that tells me there's no such thing as ghosts. When you pass away, there's either angels or demons. When you pass away, your body goes into a slumber until the whole book of Revelations pans out and eventually heaven goes on earth. Now, my friend did say something that caught my attention because he read the Bible and had someone that was close to him break down the Bible in detail to him. A lot of these investigations, if you're going to believe my friend and the Bible, may not be anything but demonic investigations, demonic hauntings. Because if you're believing in the, the Bible and you're Christian and Catholic, the ghost, whole ghost idea, throw it out the window. Because in the Bible it says there are no ghosts. You rest when you die. So what paranormal investigators might be walking into whenever they do these investigations is actually just pure demons. And the demons are actually toying with them. Like, yeah, we're going to start off like this. We're going to haunt this house like this. And we're going to make them believe it's just this. We're going to make them believe it's an intelligent haunting. We're going to make them believe it's a residual haunting until we draw them in and then we can jump and pounce. Just like what happened to Emily Rose. But... I'll save that for another po uh, podcast. We'll just do a whole, I guess, uh, you know, not that I really enjoy that topic, but because it's, you know, a topic to talk about and I'm into the paranormal and I'm hoping to pick up people that listen to my podcast, we'll do a whole podcast about demonic stuff and other events besides from Emily Rose. But in paranormal investigations, we have the residual hauntings, the intelligent hauntings, we have the poltergeist activity. And we have the demonic activity. And those are the types of hauntings that paranormal investigators um, get called to. And they have to basically define and explain to the person that called them what type of haunting they got, if they have one. And they classify it as such. What I just said on my podcast. So that was my episode of Say What Again, Billy. I hope you guys are enjoying. Um, I'm trying to do more research and documentations and go from the top of my mind and also read what I have written during the week to do these podcasts. I enjoy doing it. I hope you enjoy listening to me. hope I'm not too obnoxious and my voice is aggravating to some, but I'm just basically doing a podcast with something that I love and I had a passion for. And I know there's a lot of people that get into the paranormal and enjoy hearing this stuff and listening to certain stories and watching shows just like I do. Uh, again, I do have an Instagram and I have a Twitter page now and my Instagram for you guys is say underscore what 
underscore again, underscore Billy, underscore podcast on Instagram. Um, my Twitter is at S-W-A-B underscore podcast on Twitter. That's at Swab, S-W-A-B underscore, underscore podcast. And Instagram, it's Say What Again Billy Podcast with underscores in between Say What Again Billy. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Say What Again Billy Podcast. And until next time, hope to have you guys come back and give a listen.